Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today is the opening day of the 2022 Utah Legislature, and we're broadcasting live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City. We'll be talking about the issues likely to be addressed in the legislature this year. We'll also be talking about the issues you think should be addressed the legislature this year. We hope to hear from you. Uh, the email is upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We'll be putting your questions uh, to uh, our guests uh, today. Um, and you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com. Coming up, we'll have legislative leaders. And uh, we begin the program welcoming in uh, Governor Spencer Cox. Governor, good morning. welcome it's, to the program. It's great Thank to you. be with you, Tom. Thanks so much uh, for, for being with us. Thanks for taking the time. This is a busy, busy morning. Um, first question, Governor, what's your top priority? Going well, <laughs> it's, it's like asking me which, which of my kids is my favorite. Uh, we, we have so many to work on. Um, my top priority since I, I ran for office has always been around education funding, and specifically education funding for our at-risk students and our, our low-income students and and trying to and we have an opportunity this year because we have such a, a strong budget year our economy is doing so well that we have the opportunity to get new and additional funding into our schools um, and, and especially around our at-risk students in our rural communities and in our multicultural communities and, and throughout Utah so that that would be number one close number two though would be uh, we have several bills that we're pushing around uh, around water uh, making sure that we are uh, that we're we're able to conserve more as we find ourselves in drought, and uh, and that we're increasing storage capacity through throughout the state. So well, I guess one A and one B; those would be the the two strongest ones. And then and and then importantly, investing in infrastructure. We we're the fastest growing state in the nation. Uh, we have to keep up with that growth and keep our quality of life high. And we do that by investing in infrastructure. So Great Salt Lake, you, you have some money in the budget uh, for Great Salt Lake. Uh, Speaker Wilson's been talking about this. Uh, tell me about uh, what you proposed. Yeah, so we're, we're working very closely with, with Speaker Wilson. We understand, as, as we've seen, the, the lake levels are, are continue to decline. Um, that's, that's happening across the, the world, actually, with these types of lakes. And, uh, and the ecosystem is so important. And, and, and the, the consequences of, of losing that lake are, are very dire, not just from an economic development perspective, the, the economy of the lake, uh, but also from a health perspective, as we know, as, as the dust increases. And, and that uh, lake effect snow is so important to our ski industry and uh, and to our water content as well. So all of those things really matter. Um, what we need to, to get even better science around the lake, uh, trying to understand what it is that's driving the, the reductions and and where we can uh, have the, the greatest impact um, on decreasing those those reductions and increasing the flow into the lake. Um, a second piece of this that's really important, not just for that lake, but for the entire state, is uh, to, to reduce the amount of water we're using in agriculture agriculture. And so we have some money in the budget, a significant amount of money in the budget for ag optimization uh, to help our farmers utilize the newest and best technology so they can they can increase yield and output by decreasing the amount of water they're, they're using. And, and that will help um, to, uh, to increase flows into the lake as well because uh, the, the, the water is being diverted for, uh, for human consumption as well as crop consumption. And so if we can make an impact there, we'll, uh, we'll by nature increase the flows into the lake. Is is conservation going to be enough? And in other words, population's growing, people have water needs. Um, and these watersheds flow into the lake. They, they do. So, so these interventions have to be significant, right? We, we have to make a difference. Not Again, not just for the lake, but because, as you mentioned, uh, the, the census told us we're the fastest-growing state in the nation over the past 10 years. Most of that growth has been internal, uh, but over the last two years, we've seen more external growth than internal for the first time in, um, in, in generations. And, uh, and so to keep up with that growth, we have to limit the amount we're using now. We have to make every drop go further. Uh, we have to look at ways to, to reuse the water that, that we, we're using now. And, uh, and then again, make sure that more of that is getting to the lake. The good news is that we, have, um, we, we haven't done much around conservation in the state. Other states have been ahead of us. We haven't had to, quite frankly, um, because past generations did such a good job of, of storing water. Uh, but, but we know now that we can't continue with the use per capita that we have in our state. And we, we don't need 
need to. The technology exists out there to help us significantly reduce the amount that we're using per capita. And, and Utahns showed last year that they are willing to cut back. They are willing to be more careful with their, their utilization. Um, right now, we have, in some municipalities, um, in some HOAs, we have mandatory grass. We won't, if you want to do something better for, to, to conserve water, they won't even let you. It's, again, it's literally against the law, which is crazy. So we're going to be peeling back some of those laws and, uh, and, in, and then incentivizing people to, uh, to use less water and to be more water-wise in their, in their, and, and use better conservation methods. Well, Governor, we put this out to our listeners uh, that they have the chance to, uh, to put some questions uh, to you. So uh, a couple of people have taken advantage of that. This is Jean Laun. Uh, I'll get a couple of questions in from her if, if I can. Uh, so she, we, we said, well, what's top priorities? One of her priorities, uh, she says, get serious about addressing the prolonged drought and aridification. Lake Powell, she says, is steadily losing water while Utah keeps throwing money at plans to build a Lake Powell pipeline, which cost over a billion dollars to suck only sand out of Lake Powell. Uh, your response, Governor. Sure. So th- th- that's when we t- we just talked about the Great Salt Lake, but that that same discussion applies to all of our our, our water bodies in in this state, including uh, including Lake Powell. And so we we will continue to look at that issue. Uh, importantly, we're also about to embark on uh, a renegotiation that that happens every so often with the uh, Colorado River Basin. And so that's that's not just the state of Utah. Uh, there are several states. We have the upper basin states, the lower basin states, and Mexico as well that are part of that that uh, that negotiation, the treaty on that water. And and what we we know is that the uh, there is less water in that basin than before, and so the the water has been over allocated amongst all of the states. And and so we're gearing up for those negotiations, and a lot of that will determine the the future of uh, of Lake Powell, what that looks like, how much water we're we're able to use. But again, as as we as we are able to conserve water as uh, as agriculture is able to use less water that will benefit all of these water basins including uh, including lake powell uh, gene has another question i'm sure many of our listeners have questions about covid and uh governor you've been the kind of the point person on covid the previous administration and now long experience in front of the public on this uh here's what gene says how she phrases it um she says as a priority get real about fighting covid and freeing up our hospitals and healthcare workers to care for patients uh, other than covid uh, she says governor cox keeps saying that we should trust utahns to do what's right but obviously that hasn't worked according to gene don't prohibit mask mandates she says get real about requiring utahns to get vaccinated so we can eat out at restaurants party go to concerts enjoy pre-covid freedoms uh, what would you say in general about uh, how we respond to COVID? Well, I, I appreciate that that question, and, and I think everyone is frustrated with COVID. Um, and unfortunately, people's uh, understanding of COVID hasn't evolved with the disease nearly as much. And Omicron is very different than the the original COVID and and the Alpha variant and even the Delta variant. Um, in that, I, I always love to ask people. They're they're so fixated on these mask mandates, and and so I ask them, show me a state with Omicron specifically where a mask mandate has made a statistical difference and, and they can't do it um, because the states with mask mandates have actually had higher rates during this this explosion New York is a great example uh, Washington DC is is another example Rhode Island is an, another example all having the highest rates of COVID and they all have mask mandates um, the, the good news is with Omicron is that it is different and we are seeing that specifically around hospitalizations um, we've known for a long time in fact experts have been calling since the middle of, of last year they were saying we shouldn't be looking at case counts. We should be looking at hospitalizations. Um, to that point, uh, the, the, the listener is exactly right. Um, it, it's, it's very interesting that lost in all of this, uh, uh, in all of the media attention about Omicron right now, Utah has the fifth lowest or sixth lowest right now hospitalization rates in the, in the country. Um, and our, our hospitals, again, while taxed, this, this Omicron variant is, is happening everywhere, um, regardless of, of government interventions. They're, they're there is no evidence that gov- these government interventions in the United States are making a statistical difference. And so what's different now also versus those earlier variants is that we do have the ability to take care of ourselves. There's a writer for the New York Times that said with Omicron and uh, for people that are vaccinated, um, it really is like the flu. In fact, probably less than the flu. Um, the, the outcomes of it is spreading very, very rapidly. The other thing we know about Omicron is everywhere, everywhere in the world, it goes up very steep and it comes back down very steep. 
about 21 days to reach the peak, we've learned from um, the UK, um, from, uh, from South Africa, from New York and Washington, D.C. Uh, so what, what we saw is the first county, interestingly, that, that had the highest peak and in the most cases per capita in the state of Utah was Summit County. Um, they're the highest vaccinated county in the state. Uh, they also have more mask wearing per capita. But again, Omicron is so contagious. Um, the, the point is the hospitalization piece. And that's where we know that uh, vaccinations work. And that's why instead of pushing for a mask mandate, what you hear me pushing for is more vaccinations more people getting their um, getting their booster shots as well and uh, that's how we prevent hospitalization so we should be celebrating being in the top 10 for lowest hospitalizations in the state and yet that's that's something that we're, we're not talking about nearly as much the other piece of this that's so important is our uh, in intensive care beds in past especially with Delta and in some of the other surges uh, we our, our ICU beds were getting overwhelmed and that's that's where the most acute care takes place um, the good news about Omicron, and as I talk to uh, as I talk to our hospitals, they're seeing far far fewer um, ICU hospitalizations. Uh, the, the need for people to have that intensive care. In fact, most of our ICU beds that are are taken up by COVID patients right now are from Delta patients that have been there for weeks and and months. And so that's that's all positive news. We we did see last week we saw the numbers turning in uh, in Summit County. So our first county to peak is also our first county to come back down. And that makes sense. And, and that means that our other counties should be following in the next week or two. We should see that turning back around. So our hope is, and, and the hope of all the experts that we talk to, is this Omicron variant will help us get to, uh, to real herd immunity on top of the vaccinations and boosters that we have. And uh, then in a month or so, um, the state of Utah will be in great shape moving forward. So you opposed to mask mandates. Um, uh, what about vaccine mandates or vaccine encouragement or incentives or, you know, some some states are imposing, uh, you know, tax or nations imposing taxes, some tax incentives, that kind of thing. Sure. You so that we, kind of thing? we've been pushing really hard uh, here. I, I know there are some Republicans out there that, that aren't pushing the vaccine. I'm not one of those. Um, I believe strongly in the vaccine. And uh, but, I, but I also believe in people's opportunities to, to choose. And, and again, what, what we're seeing right now is the, the, the vaccination doesn't prevent you from getting Omicron, but it does prevent you still today, even with Omicron, even though it's a little bit milder, um, it's still very serious. And if you are unvaccinated, uh, we are seeing um, most of our hospitalizations uh, and most severe illness is still amongst the, the unvaccinated, a significant portion of that. Um, and, and so we, uh, I, I believe that we should be pushing vaccines. Um, I, I've tried to get incentives. The legislature was not interested in any incentives for, for vaccines. And so that's where we are. Um, we, uh, the Supreme Court has found that the, uh, the vaccine mandate was on constitutional and so those are the boundaries that that we work around and the good news here in Utah again is the, it's it's our most senior population that is the most impacted by uh, by by this this terrible disease, and we've done a really good job of vaccinating our senior population. Um, over the age of 65, more than 90 percent have received at least one shot. Um, upper 80s now for uh, for those that are fully vaccinated, and that means we're doing a better job of protecting the most vulnerable in, in our state, and, uh, and and that's the best we can do right now. Um, and so we we will continue to encourage ultimately people. People have to make that decision for themselves and for their families, and I hope they certainly will. Uh, one more question. I know we have to let you go here, but um, another listener, Susan Allman, uh, said one of her top priorities is helping businesses and individuals hurt most by the pandemic. Sure. Yeah, we, we have several programs that have been put in place both at the state level and at the federal level to help businesses and, uh, and individuals who have been hurt the most by the pandemic. In fact, uh, we, we have more federal spending on, on that particular piece than, uh, than, than any other than any other crisis in, in our nation's history. And so there, there, are, there are many programs out there to help businesses and to help individuals. Um, the good news right now is that there has never been a better time to get a job in the state of Utah. Um, we have unemployment at 2.2%, uh, at, at 2.1%, 2 um, the lowest in our state's history. Uh, we have a, a significant labor shortage out there right now. 
as I talk to businesses, um, they have more business than, than ever before. And so the, the economy is really booming right now. And, and so there are, there are opportunities. Also, we still have programs uh, that we put into place through the pandemic that we're hoping to keep and continuing to fund uh, to, help, to help workers to, to upskill, um, to get better jobs, to get higher paying jobs, uh, to improve their, their lot in, in life, and, uh, and to do so with, in our, our institutions of higher learning. Um, um, working with our trade and technical institutions in this state so people in just a few months can get certificates that will help them get these better jobs that are available in droves right now. And so there are, there are significant opportunities, and I would encourage listeners to take advantage of those. Well, no, we have to let you go, uh, Governor. Busy day. Uh, we appreciate you very much uh, coming in. Governor Spencer Cox has been with us. Thank, Thank you, you, Tom. Have a Thank wonderful so day. Much. Thank you. You're listening to Access Utah, and uh, we are here at the opening day of the 2020 Utah Legislative Session, broadcasting live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City. We'll have some legislative leaders in following this break. This is Ag Matters. Animal scientists at Utah State University, in collaboration with colleagues at the University of Edinburgh's Roslyn Institute and Washington State University, for the first time have created goats that can serve as surrogate sires to speed the spread of desirable genetic characteristics. Goats were selected for the study because they are an important livestock species in much of the developing world. USU scientists used the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool to produce male goats that were born sterile. But later, when the stem cells from a desirable donor animal were introduced, the young goats produced sperm with DNA only of the donor animal. This has been Ag Matters from the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and Palmer Home Furnishings offering a variety of sofa love sets, dining room, and bedroom furniture. Located at 1670 South Highway 165 in Providence. Information at palmerhomefurnishings.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we are broadcasting live today from the state capitol in Salt Lake City. It's the opening day of the 2022, uh, 2022 Utah legislative session, and we're now moving to uh, speaking with legislative leaders. And uh, we bring in with us um, the House Minority Leader, Representative Brian King, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Thanks for having me. Uh, we also uh, bring in um, the House Majority Whip, Representative Jefferson Moss, from uh, a rep- Republican from Saratoga Springs. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I know uh, all of you leaders have a meeting at 9.30, so we're going to try to fit in a couple of questions uh, with you, uh, kind of a brief time, but, but thank you so much for, for taking some time. Uh, let me start with uh, Representative Moss, your top priority heading into the session. Yeah, I think our major priorities this year are really focused around the growth that we're experiencing, right? Roads are a major issue. We're talking about water infrastructure, technology infrastructure. I think that's primarily where we're going to be focusing a lot of our efforts on is is how do we continue to manage this growth? How do we ensure that the state stays on the path that we're on and continues to provide economic prosperity for the state? Uh, But we also know that brings a lot of challenges with it. So that'll be our main area. All right. Representative King, top priorities. I think our top priorities are going to be uh, addressing the needs of Utahns on a day-to-day basis, whether it be uh, uh, income issues, such as we're gratified that the governor has put into place a grocery tax credit uh, in the sense that we we are gratified that he's trying to address the needs of those who are in the greatest distress in terms of trying to literally put food on the table. We're not sure that the grocery tax credit is the way to do it. I think eliminating the sales tax on food is a better approach. Uh, But uh, that's important. I think affordable housing issues uh, are are important. Uh, Rents are through the roof. Mortgage uh, costs, the costs of real estate are through the roof. And there are things that we can do and should do to address the basic needs of Utahns who are trying to make ends meet, especially during this time of uh, difficulty with COVID. 
and uh, we're all waiting to see what these numbers are going to look like and when they're going to top out and then begin to decline and keeping our fingers crossed that that happens sooner rather than later. Um, and I'm gratified that we've got, uh, for example, Salt Lake County, Mayor Wilson, I think her mask mandate in public places is a good thing to try to slow the spread and uh, dampen the impact of this infection and hopefully get over it as quickly as possible. Representative Moss, mask mandates. Uh, there are some localities, uh, things, you know, Salt Lake County, Salt Lake City, uh, Summit County, uh, have wanted to do this. I know many of the legislature are not on board. What about you? I think there's a lot of ideas around that right now, and I know that'll probably be a priority that we'll look at early in the session. Um, I, I think there's uh, a benefit of having local control, but I also believe there's there's some need for the state sometimes to intervene. I actually would give our state kudos. You know, when you look at a lot of reports in terms of who's managed the, ma the pandemic well, um, from both sides, you know, Politico, CNN, to the blaze, have said that Utah did a very good job of navigating, you know, a very difficult time in terms of making sure we're protecting vulnerable people. At the same time, not putting too much pressure on the economy so that we can continue to, to grow and be able to provide the services that we need as a state. Representative King, um, there, there's a talk of, looks like a tax, tax cut or tax cuts are going to happen. Uh, can we do that and still uh, serve the people that need to be served? I think that one of the things that we've got to take into account, keep in mind, is that we are in a position to do tax cuts at all simply because we have a relatively healthy economy, a foundation. Uh, Utah's economy has a strong foundation going into COVID. And then with the COVID problems, we've had the federal government allocate, uh, appropriate a lot of money for the states. And we've seen that in Utah, and that's been helpful in allowing us to even think about tax cuts. We don't have a problem, I think, with tax cuts on our side of the aisle if they're directed to people who are in the greatest need. But there are many, many state services that provide for people in great need, and we don't want to see income or revenue from our state income tax, our state sales tax, diverted away from those essential government programs and any tax cuts that we do put in place we want to make sure are directed to those who have the greatest needs. Uh, again, those who are struggling to put bread on the table, those who are struggling to afford a home or to pay the rent, uh, those are the folks who need the relief and if we can lighten the tax burden for them, great, but we are uh, going to, I think, be opposed to a straight flat across the board tax cut of just lowering the percentage on our state income tax. Representative Moss, uh, the same topic, uh, tax cuts, what form should that, uh, I assume you're in favor, uh, what form should that take? Yeah, definitely. I think it's time. I mean, we've been, we've been very fortunate in our state, as I've talked about, that, that we've had a lot of economic prosperity. But we also know people, you know, would like to see some of that money back. The state's done well. Um, let's, let's return that. So I know there's going to be a lot of discussion around what that might look like. I have heard a number of different ideas from the just a straight rate, rate cut to more targeted areas, um, but I do think they'll definitely be, that's that's something that's a high priority for us. Very good, well, uh, very fast segment. I know you have this leadership meeting, uh, but uh, thank you so much for taking a bit of time with us. Uh, Representative Moss, thank you so much. Thank you. Representative King, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. We'll have another break. We'll come back with uh, legislative leaders on the Senate side here on this live broadcast of Access Utah. Hello listeners, I'm Shireen Gorbani, Salt Lake County Councilwoman. Join us for both sides of the aisle. This is a weekly debate over politics, policy, and big issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices on the right, in the center, and on the left. That's me. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing the residents of this state. We prove that you can still put Republicans and Democrats in a small room and have meaningful dialogue. Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Well, we'd love to support your events on our UPR community calendar. Head to upr.org, click on the community calendar tab, and there you can find the submission link. We highlight events including workshops, theater, art shows, dances, lectures, virtual events, and more. Again, you can just go to the community calendar tab on upr.org to submit your event. Here's what years of diet culture won't tell you. It's okay to eat what you're hungry for when you're hungry for it. That's what's at the heart of intuitive eating, 10 principles that guide you in healing your body and brain's relationship to food. 
I'm Anita Rao. Join me in conversation with two registered dietitians and a neuroscientist. It's Relearning How to Eat, a special from Embodied in North Carolina Public Radio. Friday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access U. I'm Tom Williams. We're broadcasting today live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City on opening day of the 2022 Utah Legislative Session. And uh, we move now to the Senate with some leaders from the Senate. We bring in uh, Senate Majority Assistant Whip, uh, Senator Kirk Colomore, Republican from Sandy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being with us. And we welcome uh, back to the program uh, Senate Minority Whip, Senator Luce Escamilla, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. Good, good to be here. Uh, so just briefly, I just want to uh, give you, before I go to a question from our listener, we did put this out to listeners, um, Senator Colomore, your top priority heading into this session. Well, that's a good question. I've got a, I've got a number of bills that I'm looking at, but, but I think the top priority for me from a budget standpoint is, is looking at all this surplus that we have um, and potentially, a, well, and a lot of one-time money and making sure that we use that in a proper way. You know, we're looking at some generational type investments, uh, particularly in dealing with water. You know, we're all very familiar with the drought that we're going through. And and what can we do to really meaningfully address that? Very good. I'll, I'll follow up because we have a question on that. Uh, Senator Escamilla, uh, top priority. Um, I will say within the same parameters, uh, surplus has created an interesting dilemma, I think, for the state. It's a great one to have infrastructure, but I want to see it mostly invested in social services. This infrastructure money or this surplus came because of a pandemic that we're still in the middle of it. And I think we need to make sure that our, our families and our especially more, more vulnerable populations, children, our elderly, are taken care of, and we have an opportunity to bring more resources to those communities. Yeah. So, Colomar, uh, you, you mentioned uh, water, of course, a, a big issue. Um, and uh, so let me just read this question from uh, one of our listeners. Uh, her name is Jean. Uh, we asked, what are your priorities heading into our listeners? She says one of her priorities is get serious about addressing the prolonged drought, ridification. And she mentions Lake Powell. Lake Powell is steadily losing water while Utah keeps throwing money at plans to build a Lake Powell pipeline, which would cost over a billion dollars, suck only sand out of Lake Powell. Uh, your, what, uh, what would you uh, have the legislature do about uh, drought, about water? All right, so... There's been a working group over the past year looking at a lot of these issues, and you know it's been broken down to a couple of categories. But first and foremost, we still have uh, several hundred million dollars from ARPA, the Federal Relief um, Act that was last year that that gave us a big chunk of money. Uh, we're hoping that with a good portion of that still that we can invest in secondary water metering. So a problem that we have across the Wasatch Front in particular is that a lot of our residents have secondary water for, for their outside watering of lawns and stuff like that, gray water, if you will, that is not metered. And so they pay an annual fee for that amount and can, can use essentially as much as they want. We have found that, studies have shown that just by metering the water and making those residents cognizant of their use, that there is uh, a cost or, or, or a water resource benefit, that they start using less because they're aware of how much they're using. And simply by metering those, we can save enough water that basically equates a brand new reservoir. And so if we're looking to uh, make a significant impact on our water resources, you know, it would cost several hundred millions, if not billion plus, to build a new reservoir. We can essentially do that by investing in the secondary water metering. And so we're hoping that with some state contribution through these federal funds, we can encourage these various water districts to invest, uh, to help the state invest in this and get you know, I, I think we need 1,500 or 15,000, maybe that's right, 15,000 plus uh, secondary water meterings, and, and the conservation from that will, will be pretty significant. Hmm. So, Dr. Scamilla, I wanted to point this uh, question from a listener. Um, Susan says uh, one of her top priorities, how best to help decrease and delete the pandemic? Um, I think, you know, certainly it's been um, the last couple of weeks you know, since the beginning of the year, shocking to see what we're seeing with our numbers. I think by acknowledging that this is still a pandemic and we're still in a pandemic, it's, it's a first step. We are um, putting more contingency in terms of our response and having in one of my bills, community health workers, 
those cultural brokers coming into communities in rural areas and other um, underserved communities to bring more education about why it's important to get vaccinated, about just preventing um, and working towards being um, more aggressive to stop the, the spread. Um, we, we really, I think we learned a lesson that we don't have the infrastructure for testing. I know you had the governor a couple of minutes ago, and um, you know, it's, it, I think we still need to invest in that part. And our, our healthcare providers are exhausted, our first responders and, and our um, essential workers. So also infrastructure and making sure that they are getting taken care of. Because I think we're going to do see a spike on some of the mental health and you know issues that will come from this pandemic. So mental health, which you're going to see a lot of bills working on this. We've had a whole year working on on better responsive, uh, better responsive infrastructure. Mental health is critical, and you'll see bills coming this this year in a bipartisan effort. Well, it was a, a fast segment. We know we have to have to get you to your leadership meetings. Uh, so uh, thank you so much, and we appreciate you taking some time with us. Appreciate thank that. You. Senator Colomar, uh, Senator Escamilla, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll take another break, and when we come back, we'll have uh, a couple of more legislators to uh, talk with us as we head into the 2022 Utah Legislative Session. We're broadcasting live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City. It's Access Utah. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll dance the tango in its many forms, from the traditional bandoneon of Argentina to the pulsing electronica of the new tango of Finland and Norway. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join me for Tango Around the World, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Thursday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. West's relationship with water is complicated, and it's only getting more complex. Last year was considerably dry, maybe the driest we'd seen, and now we're looking at even drier. I think it's been described as a slow-moving train wreck. I'm Alex Hager, reporting on the water issues that define the western U.S. Listen for stories about the Colorado River Basin on Utah Public Radio. Governor Spencer Cox will deliver the annual State of the State Address to a joint session of the Utah Legislature Thursday evening. He'll outline his budget for the upcoming year and talk about many other topics, and we'll have that address for you right here on Utah Public Radio, live at 6.30 Thursday evening. Hope you join us. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are broadcasting uh, live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City on the occasion of the opening day of the uh, 2022 Utah Legislative Session. So today begins 45 days, and uh, we'll, of course, have uh, a lot of issues uh, talked about on Access Utah, on the UPR newscast as well. We'll be uh, having full coverage for you and we kick that off today on opening day. We have had with us uh, Governor Spencer Cox uh, joined us at the beginning of the program. We have also been talking with legislative leaders, uh, including House Minority Leader Representative Brian King and House Majority Whip Jefferson Moss. Um, we have just finished speaking with Senate Minority Whip uh, Senator Luce Escamilla and Senate Majority Assistant Whip Senator Kirk Colomore. And uh, we had to say goodbye to all those leaders because they have uh, leadership meetings uh, here started just a couple minutes ago. That'll take them up uh, until the 10 o'clock opening of the legislature. We are awaiting the imminent arrival of Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. We hope to also be joined by Representative Candace Perucci, Republican from Salt Lake City. And in the meantime, we are putting it out to you to uh, send me questions that I can put to these legislators. And we have been using some questions sent in by uh, Gene Laun and Susan Allman. Thanks for those questions. And uh, we do have some questions have come in from Mel here recently. I'll put these to our legislators when uh, when they arrive. Uh, having to do with, uh, looks like, s uh, speed limits in Utah. Looks like the, uh, and driving on our highways. Looks like maybe the, the thrust of uh, Mel's questions. So we'll put those, and uh, I guess the point is you can ask your questions as well. 
of our legislators, upraccess@gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com is the email that you can uh, put uh, to our, our leaders, upraccess at uh, gmail.com. And uh, we do have representatives arriving here, it looks like, um, on our live broadcast from the state uh, capitol. And I believe this is uh, Representative Perucci. Here's um, no, Romero. Rome, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. Your mask. I'll, I'll blame it on the mask. I'll blame her. Very good. Very but she's good. blonde and I'm brunette. Okay, very good. So I, I should be able to tell the difference. Representative uh, Romero, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Um, so let me just start with uh, your top priority. What's your top priority heading into this legislative session? My top priority would be my affirmative consent bill, where we would add a third-degree felony in our code in regards to rape. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about that. So what this bill would do is it would provide another felony option to criminally charge someone. When we think about rape, one in ten cases will be prosecuted. And there are so many women and men who have been sexually assaulted who go through the whole process. They go get their sexual assault kit done. They report it to law enforcement. And then it gets to the prosecutor, and the prosecutor doesn't have what they feel is substantial evidence and say it's a he said, she said scenario. And so what this bill would do is it would define what affirmative consent is. So um, in order to give consent, you have to express it through words or actions because in many cases in sexual assault, a person may freeze, so they can't verbally give you consent because they were frozen. And so it's really important to reevaluate how we look at consent and how we look at intimate relationships. And we need to ensure that everyone feels like it's, it's, it's consensual. And um, it's a shift in culture for us I remember watching that cartoon, Pepe Le Pew, and it was like, persist, persist, persist until you get. So we really have to switch how we look at things and how we view what consent is and what we feel it is, because I think that's the biggest barrier I'm gonna have here at the legislature. Anytime you mention the word affirmative consent, people are like, well, do I have to give my wife a note? And I'm like, no, you don't have to give your wife a note. And so this will be an interesting conversation as we move forward. There, you mentioned one example there. Um, there has been some um, opposition to, to this bill, I, I, I know, uh, based on perhaps some unintended consequences. Uh, maybe you could address that. Well, people always talk about unintended consequences, but we don't talk about the unintended consequences for the victim of sexual assault. As I mentioned, one in 10 cases, even that, get prosecuted. And the fact that many women and men, anyone who's sexually assaulted, they don't report because they won't feel they will be believed. We, ha we see this time and time again when we see these sexual assault cases. Well, he's a good boy. He made a mistake. Well, what about that victim? What about their life? What about their family's life? And we don't think about that. And people need to be held accountable. If they don't have consent, they need to be criminally prosecuted. The other part we're doing is education. My um, colleague, Carol Speckman-Ross, is running a bill. I've been getting funding for the last eight years to do education on sexual assault and domestic violence, preventive education. So it's there. So when people try to use that argument, that just doesn't, doesn't feel right to me. My son is finishing his last years of college. One of the things he had to do was go through training, like many other kids, like he had to. So again, when people say we haven't talked about it, we have but we have to shift the way we view sexual assault and rape in order to move forward as a society. And this bill is one of those steps. Does there need to be more work on uh, processing rape kits? Um, I, uh, there's a famous case recently where the, the, you know, the, the evidence was sitting on the shelf, it's finally processed. Uh, I think that was on the county level, they found some money to, to advance this. And then because of that, the, the rapist was found in Scotland, I think. So when it comes to processing sexual assault kits, in 2017, I passed HB 200, which mandated the testing of all sexual assault kits. We got received all the funding with those grants you're talking about were federal grants that were given to the state and the county. 
And Utah is one of a few states that doesn't have a backlog anymore mm -hmm. because of our efforts in addressing that backlog. I, I have to give kudos to my colleague, former Representative Selig. She started this conversation and I finished it. And I thank my colleagues, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, for helping us secure the funding to fund the crime lab so that we're able to process those kits. Our goal eventually is to process all kits in 30 days and we're, al we're almost there. And so when it comes to processing the kits, um, we're there and it took forever to shift culture on whether we should process those kits. And that's why I'm hoping we do the same thing when we're talking about affirmative consent. Mm -hmm. You said Utah is one of the few states now that uh, doesn't have a backlog. Yes, yeah. correctly. And that's due to our efforts as a legislature and um, the grants we received and also the bill and the funding that came with it, 2.5 million, to um, help the crime lab staff and be able to process all those kits. I know uh, you have worked on, we've talked on the air about this, um, missing and murdered indigenous women. Where, where are we with that, with that? What work needs to be done? So um, I am asking for some funding to do some more research, to do more outreach for the task force as we move forward. And we were just in Bluff, Utah, myself and Senator Hinkins and the task force members meeting with our Nav the Navajo Nation and um, Navajo residents. And one of the big issues they talked about was also law enforcement and, and protection. And so it was a huge issue that we heard. So we are go will be going around the state this summer and meeting with our different tribal communities. Our next meeting will actually be here in Utah because I think when people talk about murder to missing indigenous women and indigenous people all together, we always assume people um, live on the reservation still. And I'm not saying that we don't have family members that do, but our, uh, Indian, our American Indian population, our indigenous community is also urban. And so many live here in the city. So we wanna make sure we're addressing that issue. And as we move forward, this ties back to domestic violence and sexual assault. When you look at murdered and missing indigenous women and you look at who their perpetrators are, they're not, the, the majority of that is not done by indigenous men. And so really a huge issue that was again brought up to me and Senator Hinkins was um, protection and law enforcement protection and how do we work with the Navajo Nation and how do we work with some border towns there as Bluff to ensure that people aren't going onto our reservation and committing crimes and then not being held accountable. And so those are huge issues and those are huge issues too when you're talking about murder to missing indigenous women. Mm. Let me get to a couple of questions from our listeners. We put this out to our listeners so you can still uh, get us a, a question um, at upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, this is from Jean. Uh, we asked what are your top priorities and Jean says, the top priority for her is uh, getting serious about addressing climate change and resulting weather disasters. A fire like the one in Colorado that destroyed a thousand homes could happen in Utah. 2021 recorded 20 climate-related disasters that cost at least a billion dollars uh, each. Uh, what would you say uh, needs to be done legislative level on climate change? Oh, we definitely need to do a lot of work on climate change. And you know, I, I'm giving a plug for my fellow Democrats. We, you know, with former Representative Patrice Arendt. She made that a, a topic. I worked for former uh, Mayor Rocky Anderson. This was a big issue for him. And so I'm, I'm seeing some of my Republican colleagues come on now. We have our bipartisan um, caucus um, on, on air quality. And I also sit on the Air Quality Policy Advisory Committee. So you'll be seeing some legislation this session that deals with wildfires. You'll be seeing some legislation that deals with emissions. Representative Briscoe is very ambitious. He wants to have all um, public buses um, free for everyone, and that plays a huge role. I know the state, the state is stepping up and you know having employees work from home if they can on inversion days, but tackling the inversion is going to um, be a huge policy shift, and we're gonna have to invest a lot of money and there are some bills again this session, but we also have to look at what we do as individuals as well, because when you look at the biggest polluter here in Utah, it's emissions and then it's buildings. So um, there are things that we can do as a legislature and I hope we push forward, but there's also stuff we have to do as individuals. We are, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Representative Angela Romero and uh, we now welcome uh, in Representative uh, Candace Perucci. Did I say your name right? Yes, you got it perfectly. Okay, okay very good. Uh, who is a Republican from... Uh, Riverton. 
From where? Riverton. So River, I represent Riverton. Harriman, Riverton, and South Jordan. Okay, very yeah. good. Uh, let me ask you about, uh, the, the, we had a listener question about uh, climate change. What uh, what would you propose needs to be done on a legislative level? On so I, I serve on the Interim Transportation Committee. And in general, air quality is something that we're looking at, I think, in the environment. Um, we've I think a big shift that we did was having industry shift to Tier 3 fuels, and they've done that. Um, and then I would just also point out at the, the national level in general for the Republican Party that Representative John Curtis has started uh, the Conservative Caucus on Climate Change, and it's actually the third largest caucus now in Congress. So I think it's something that people are paying close attention to. I know particularly in transportation, we're looking at ways that um, you know those incentives are in place, and then also industry is stepping forward on how they can help improve our air quality and environment and, and obviously climate change and that impact. Let me uh, direct uh, the next question from our listener uh, to, to you, Representative Perucci, and then we'll get to, uh, Representative Romero a chance to respond as well. Uh, we put out uh, to our listeners, what's your top priority? And so this came in from uh, Susan. Uh, she says, my top priority is pollution. It won't go away in the Salt Lake area without human help. How best to help decrease and delete? Oh, uh, that's a separate question. So uh, what about pollution? It won't go away in Salt Lake area without human help. I think what you saw during COVID, uh, and one thing that I hope doesn't go away, and as we're still experiencing this pandemic, is people can work from home. And I think remote work has been huge, uh, not only in reducing traffic, uh, reducing pollution, but also specifically it's been great for our female population uh, to be able to have that option. And I'm hoping that our employers continue to provide and allow for remote work. I think it's an important shift that we had. And we had a bill sponsored by Senator Dan McKay that I voted for that made it so that the state could set an example where on um, bad air days we would instruct our state employees to work from home. So I think steps like that are important. And Representative Romero, what about pollution? I mean, I, I agree with Representative Perucci. I, I was talking to some friends who are scientists, and we were talking about this particular inversion we're experiencing right now. And we were, this particular science was telling me that, scientist was telling me because of all the drive-ups we have right now for people to get tested for COVID, he can't predict, but he thinks that has a lot to do with the current inversion we have now. As Representative Perucci pointed out, we have moved to Tier 3, and vehicles are operating different. And again, cars are the biggest polluters. And so we definitely have to figure out how do we transition, how do we make electric cars also accessible? How do we um, look at what we're putting on the grid? And so um, pollution is not only about um, tier three roads and all of that, but we need to look at uh, all the things we're using in Salt Lake City. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to live in Salt Lake City proper. We're looking at ways to renew, to use renewable energy. And so that's a direction that our legislature has been resistant to. But I really feel like we have to diversify our energy portfolio if we're going to move forward with our changing economy at a local, state, and global level. I know we have to let you uh, go uh, here shortly. We've got the session starting up here pretty soon. But I want to get this uh, question in from a listener. This is uh, Mel. Um, I'll just read this somewhat lengthy, but I'll get this in. Uh, many questions to ask, but I have a concern with speed limits in Utah, not the actual speed, the speed to which drivers drive over the speed limit. Also, the running of red lights, not late yellows either. <laughs> Why not use cameras to monitor highway speeds and issue tickets, and also at intersections? Driving the speed limit or a few miles over the speed limit can be hazard on the main highways in Utah. I find the argument for not using cameras fairly weak by lawmakers. If cameras cannot be used, then should the various law enforcement agencies find better ways to enforce current laws within reason? Seems the Highway Patrol issuing tickets for drivers over 100 miles an hour is giving up and only trying to screen out the most aggressive drivers. How does state government make uh, driving a little safer for us all? So first of all, cameras. You know, I'm not a, a big supporter of, of cameras. I think um, we as individuals should be able to regulate ourselves when it comes to driving. Um, again, I'm just not a big supporter of, of cameras. I just don't, I don't think they work. And it's like a, a gotcha thing. And I think it's our own personal responsibility to um, monitor how we drive. 
So I, that would be my answer to that. All right, Representative Perchy. I completely agree on the personal responsibility front, and I don't see that ever passing this legislature uh, to have cameras in place. I think what may be hinted at here when they talk about highway patrol is right now we are working on staffing up highway patrol. Law enforcement across the state is under... <clears throat> understaffed right now and so that is obviously then fewer patrolmen on the road who potentially are able to pull over those high speed uh offenders uh but i know that i've sat and gone on uh dui blitzes and ride-alongs and um highway patrol obviously is looking to, to their idea behind it right is if you can prevent someone from speeding then you're preventing hopefully a big accident and so i think as we work to staff up our highway patrol officers you'll see more of them on the road i also though am a firm believer and personal responsibility. I'm also a recovering speed addict myself as someone who has always had a lead foot. So I think we all have to just take a breather, uh, you know, plan time accordingly to get places when we need to. And, and to represent Romero's point, I don't think we need to have cameras in place to do that. And also, if we're following the speed limit, and I know Senator Imoto is working on a bill maybe to lower the speed limit. I mean, this is a conversation. This also um, impacts the air we breathe as well. And so I also want to point that out. And I know we have to go up, but I also want people to know that we're working on issues when it comes to the Great Salt Lake. We're working on affordable housing, when we're talking about our unsheltered, when we're talking about people like me who live in the city who are, are struggling as well. And so these are huge issues for us, housing, the Great Salt Lake. I think we as Democrats and Republicans can all agree on that, and that's something we're working to forward to as a bipartisan group. Yesterday we had a press conference, Representative Perucci and I were there. We're also looking at tackling how do we talk about equity, how do we talk about diversity in our schools. So that's something that you'll see coming up here too, which is important to me because I don't want to get into that rhetoric of critical race theory because that's a theory that's used in higher ed. I want to talk about how do we make sure that all our children feel safe in school, how do all children make sure they feel like they belong. So these are some things that we'll be talking about as well. So just 30 seconds, uh, didn't get a chance to ask you, Representative Perucci, what's your top priority going in? Going into this session, I've got a few bills, but I will just rapid fire off. I've got a bill on domestic violence. It's something I've been working on uh, since I got into the legislature to help empower our officers and get good data so we can make sound policy decisions. I've got a bill related to lobbying and disclosures to help increase transparency in the process for us as lawmakers. Um, working on a bill related to uh, hospitals and after you have a baby having to take a hundred question survey to get a birth certificate and trying to pair that back for young moms and uh, also ultimately you know we're going to be looking at an income tax cut and then finding ways um, to help support low-income families and empowering parents in the education process. Very good. I know you have to go up to the session now. Thank you, Representative Perucci, Representative Romero. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate all the people who have joined us, including Governor Cox. And uh, we've been live from the state capitol in uh, Salt Lake City on opening day of the 2022 legislative session. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're going to go out today with uh, a recorded interview with Bill Tibbetts from Crossroads Urban Center. Thanks for listening. Now we're talking with Bill Tibbetts, who's Associate Director of the uh, Crossroads Urban Center. Uh, Bill Tibbetts, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, first, for those who don't know, uh, tell us what the Crossroads Urban Center is and does. Okay. Uh, since 1966, uh, Crossroads Urban Center has been uh, helping people meet basic needs with our food pantries and thrift store. Uh, we also... That are both that are all based in Salt Lake City. We have two uh, food pantries and one thrift store, where we I think give away 11 items for every one that we sell. So we are helping people with food, with clothing, with other basic necessities Monday through Friday. We also have uh, do advocacy on on poverty issues with the hope that less people will need those emergency services. So we uh, and a lot of our work is is done. Uh, through our project called the Coalition of Religious Communities, which gives uh, churches and other faith communities that contribute uh, to our to our thrift store and food pantry a way to be in, engaged in policy uh, as a, as a group. So uh, that is what Crossroads Urban Center is and does. What uh, What are some things uh, that you're especially looking at? Uh, either hoping passes or hoping doesn't pass uh, with regard to advocacy uh, heading into the legislative session? 
There are two things that we're really excited about this session. One is uh, Representative Rosemary Lesser's bill, which we are expecting to have uh, multiple co-sponsors for uh, to eliminate the state portion of the sales tax on food. I think there's a, a large budget surplus. There's talks about a lot of tax cut ideas. We are uh, going to be engaged in that one because, uh, you know, with all the inflation this year, you know, if you could bring down food prices by a, by a couple percentage points, that would make a difference for the people we serve. Um, and, I mean, when you look at the different tax cut proposals that are being discussed, this is the one that would benefit everybody and, and not just primarily benefit people with the highest incomes. And, um, yes. The other thing that we're very interested in is, is uh, and excited about is, is uh, Governor Cox's uh, Proposal for using uh, American Rescue Plan Act funds for for affordable housing. He's uh, proposed actually a total of uh, two hundred and twenty eight million dollars in, in affordable housing funding. Um, over half of that is is uh, supposed to go toward housing to help reduce homelessness. Um, this uh, I, I think with the pandemic we've seen that. Uh, you know, the traditional shelter model for dealing with homelessness is, is inadequate, and so uh, it's really exciting to see such a big, strong proposal to uh, to build housing that, that would actually reduce the number of people sleeping outside in cars and in, in, in camping and tents. By the way, how um, how are people doing right now? I'm sure there's fluctuations. Uh, sometimes folks do a little better, sometimes a little worse. Uh, how are folks do, doing right now? You know, in Salt Lake County, we just, due to staffing issues, we haven't been able to open all of the overflow shelter space that we were able to in, in, in prior years. And so I, you're, we're seeing more people sleeping in cars, more people camping than any winter I've seen in, in my 20 years working here at Crossroads. I, I, um, I think... Uh, Housing prices just keep going up, and, and so it's harder for people who are on the edge to, to make it. And, um, and so it's, it's, you know, normally <laughs> we're, we're, people who do this, the work I do, are, are just excited when, when the um, unemployment rate is as low as it is right now because it means people are getting jobs. People who normally don't get jobs can't get jobs, but there's still a disconnect between you know, even with wages going up, rents are still going up faster. And so it's, um, I, I think we're just sort of in a, in terms of homelessness, we're, we're not where we need to be yet. Um, I, I mean, and then the, the other side to having such a, a low unemployment rate is just like it's hard to find people to do anything else. It is, it's extra hard to find people uh, to help run help um, run run homeless shelters, and, and those shelters have minimum staffing requirements before they even can open, and so, I mean, that's why we're, we haven't been able to open all the overflow facilities. Um, I mean, we're 200, we have 250 beds that we found them, but we don't have the staff to open them. So, and that's why permanent housing is better than, than shelters, better than overflow shelters. Anything you'd like to say? Anything else you'd like to say heading into the session? I, I just think. I mean, I'm. There are there are a lot of really positive proposals that are being discussed, and I, I hope uh, that we have that they pass, and that there's uh, that I that uh, that this is a, a session people remember as, as being. One where we we made progress on on long term issues, so that's that's my hope going in. We've been talking with Bill Tibbetts. He's uh, associate director of Crossroads Urban Center. Bill Tibbetts, uh, thank you so much. No, thank you.
The first day of the legislative session is Tuesday, January 18, along with big issues such as water conservation, Great Salt Lake, a grocery tax credit, affordable housing and police reform, legislators will battle over tax cuts. Legislative leaders have budgeted $160 million for them in 2022. The 45-day session is brimming with hundreds of bills hoping to become law. Listen to Utah Public Radio for coverage of this year's legislative session from the UPR Newsroom. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSUFM, Logan. We sometimes call them the greatest generation. They did this amazing thing. They saved the world. What else happened during World War II? Investigating a little-known American war crime on the next Reveal. Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio.